Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. How many of you got up at 4 o'clock yesterday morning to watch the royal wedding? No takers? Nobody did? David, I thought you would get up at 4 a.m. I really did, but you didn't. Okay. All right. Well, uh, ladies, the uh, last uh, prince has been taken until many years from now. And uh, guess what? He's not your prince. God didn't write that into your story. He wrote someone else into your story. And he is the prince. She is the queen. But I've got some good news. Bigger than all of that that happened yesterday and made all the news, dominated the news. God has written the king into your story. One day, you will see the king in all of his glory. And there will be a royal wedding such as has never been before. And when I see a wedding like that, I think, God, what must your wedding be like? When the bridegroom, the son, marries those who have trusted him. What must that be like? I have a bold prediction that nine months to a year from now, the name Megan will be the most named girl, thank you, son, of any. That's a bold prediction, isn't it? We've already got a couple of Megans in our church, so we're way ahead of that, and we thank God for them. Well, I want you to turn to Psalm 139. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, but the Lord uh, laid upon my heart just to share with you the lessons that Kim and I has learned, have learned uh, through this time. Couldn't have been a better song. Worship team, through it all, it is well, it is well with me. We're going to start with Psalm 139. And this is not about me, it's about all of us. Every single one of us. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. In the King James it says, and I really like the King James there, you have hemmed me in. You're all around me. There's no place I can go that you're not aware of and not only aware of, but you can work and move and guide and place me where you want me to be. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty, and I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. 
the night shines like the day. Darkness and light are light to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones are not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days, listen to this, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious are your thoughts to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Did you get that? God's thoughts towards you and toward me are beyond counting. They are limitless. Why would God think of us? Why would God at any time have one single moment when he cast his gaze upon us and thought of us? Yet more than the sand of the sea. When I wake up, I'm still with you. First Thessalonians in the New Testament. Paul writes to the church of Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters. And rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you're enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Paul writes there and he, he commends the church of Thessalonica for what they're going through. We don't know exactly what trial or difficulty that they were walking through, but we know that they were navigating a very difficult time. And Paul commends them in that. Let me give you a couple of things, a couple of lessons that the Lord has taught Kim and I in this time. First of all, from my part, and I've been a pastor since I was 18. I started preaching when I was 13. I love the church. I love every church I've ever pastored. I love people that I pastored 40 years ago. They're still in my heart. I still pray for them, but I have gained a new appreciation an unprecedented dependence on the family of God. Many people today take very lightly and casually the church. But the church is the bride of Christ. Those who love the Lord are a special people because God has written his name in their hearts. He sings over us. His banner over us is love for those who have been redeemed. The church is precious. And my dependence, Kim's dependence, even though there are many, many times we weren't even able to come because my immunity has been so low that I could not come for risk of 
taking a virus and setting back any hope of health. Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about a flourishing faith, an increasing love, and afflictions endured. In Philippians 2, 25-30, Paul talks about Epaphras, who was sick. He was a brother in Christ. He was a pastor and a preacher, and Paul highly commended him that he was sick even unto death. And Paul there is telling about what God has done to raise him back up to health. Not only an unprecedented dependence on the family of God, and God's doing a work in, in Dayspring. I, I believe he's flourishing. I believe he's working in ways that, that we don't even know. God's always at work, and he's at work in thousands of ways that we don't even realize or understand or can see. And I believe one of those is a flourishing faith. I believe we're, we're stronger, not weaker. I believe that we're increasing in love toward one another. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe in Dayspring, this church is enduring this season very well. I believe that. Second thing that I want to bring out, the lesson that we've learned, is how important the unbreakable bond of marriage and family is. The unbreakable bond. Kim and I have talked about this a lot. We don't know how in the world people go through long-term difficulty or trial or struggle when the relationship is not good in the first place. Many, many couples can endure a long-term period of difficulty and trial. But I'm so thankful that before this happened, long before this happened, God gave us such a sweet, sweet marriage stronger than we've ever been. And we went into this time in strength. Don't wait until you go through something and then get right with God or try to get right with others. Have the strength trusting the Lord. You say, Pastor, I'm single. You count it as dear, the family that you do have. Be as close to them as you can possibly be. I've learned empathy not only for the sufferer of those who are in pain, but empathy and the hardship for the caregiver. Kim has gone through much more than I. She has literally poured herself out from early in the morning till late at night. She has laid her life aside. All that she was gifted to do, all that she has been, she's laid it aside to take care of me. That's inexpressible to me. I can't find words for that. And I'm so thankful for her. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Peter's been talking about the wife. We know he had a wife because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Now that means that if Jesus healed his mother-in-law, we ought to at least be nice to ours, amen? Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way 
as with a weaker partner. That does not mean what some of you think it means. Your wife, in many ways, smarter than you. Amen? Your wife, in many ways, is stronger than you are. Amen? Amen? It means she has needs that are particular and peculiar to women that we men sometimes don't understand, and we need to live in an understanding way. That means at times she will need our support and encouragement when we think everything's all right. There's no need to encourage, I'm fine. But we need to know our wives, and we need to read our wives and understand our wives in order that we can live with them in an understanding way. That's what Peter is saying. Showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. I'm so thankful that Kim and I is going through this together. I couldn't think of anyone else that I would want to walk with me through this, to help me through this. Some of you are sad because you don't have anyone, or maybe because your relationship is not strong. You feel it wouldn't endure. Begin to cry out to God. Ask Him to strengthen you and to strengthen your walk with Him and then to strengthen your wife. If you're single, ask God to give you such a relationship with Christ and with your family and those that you love that it'll be unbreakable. And when times of difficulty come, you will not be shaken. You can sing, it is well, it is well. Showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. Do you know that's God's will for your life? You were called to be a blessing. In specific to your wife or husband. But in general, you were called to be a blessing. Your life was called to be a blessing. Mercy and grace is to follow you wherever you go. And I'm so grateful for this unbreakable bond. The third thing that the Lord has taught me, this has been a hard one, really hard, is, and I hope that you can apply some of these, you don't have to get sick to apply the word to your life. You don't have to wait until something goes terribly wrong and then say, well, I really need to get right with the Lord and strong in the word. This has been an unrelenting, almost daily assault on my pride. I cannot tell you the humiliation. I cannot count the uh, times when God has humbled me. I'm one of those, and you know me, some of you have known me for 20 plus years. I didn't realize this and wouldn't want to admit it, but I was proud that I was humble. I don't know if you can be that way, but I think that I, I was. I thought I couldn't get any more humble than I am. How could I get any more humble? But I want to tell you, 
humility and humiliation has walked with me every step of the way. When an 85-year-old man says, here, let me get the door for you, that's humbling. When, when women are, are, are hurrying to get a door for you and you've done that all your life, that's humbling. That's low on the scale of humiliation. I, I couldn't tell you, and even if you came up to me and said, preacher, whisper to me, what's your worst humiliation? I couldn't say it. I couldn't tell you. Humiliation and humbling has walked with me through this whole way. Turn to Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same mindset, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. I thought I was doing it, I thought I was doing it quite well until God not only took away the opportunity to do it, he said, here, let me give you some things that you need to bring you to where I really want you to be. Because you can't be what I want you to be on your own and on your own strength. We can only see Christ as he is through the eyes of true humility, not through our intellect, not through acts that we might do, but through true humility and the humbling of ourselves. James says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We cannot know Christ in the way that we should until we see him through the eyes of humility. Look in Philippians 2, 8. He humbled himself, speaking of Jesus, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. You can't get any more humiliated than that. Stripped naked on the cross. Beaten flesh torn open, men mocking you and assailing you with taunts and making fun of you as you hung there upon the cross. You see, any humiliation that I might have gone through that you will never know, only Kim will know, probably the Lord knows, it's nothing. It points me to Christ continually. And I say, what must Christ have suffered for me? This is nothing, absolutely nothing compared to what my Savior has done for me. Being sick for a long time, chronic illness and pain, it clarifies, it puts in focus what is truly important. What is truly important is found in Philippians chapter 2. In verses 9 through 11. 
For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of us being well. He's Lord of sickness. He's Lord of life and Lord of heaven. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, chronic pain puts in focus. Everything else is laid aside. Everything else that obstructs our focus and keeps us from seeing clearly is pushed away. The fog is pushed away. And only that which exalts our Lord and Savior comes into clear focus. I can't explain it to you. It's a mystery, but I read it over and over again in the scripture, how God does that again and again and again. Verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How does that apply to us? I'm not responsible for you growing in grace. You're responsible for humbling yourself and allowing God to work in your heart. You don't need a pastor. You need a Savior. And the Bible says, working out your own salvation. That doesn't mean that you work your salvation he has saved you, but your salvation begins to work its way out as you trust in Him, as you humble yourself before Him. For years and years I've preached and I've tried to serve the Lord, but it's God's work in us, not our work for God. Is God working in your heart? Look at verse 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his purpose, good purpose. All my days, God had them laid out even before one day of my life had come and gone. According to his good purpose. I wouldn't have written this into my story. Kim wouldn't have written this into her story. But God did. And it is God who works out his perfect will. I pray that you'll not go through long-term illness or pain, but I can promise you this. You will go through suffering. You will go through difficulty and trials. You will go through maybe trials that will last for years. Pain that will never cease. A brokenness and heaviness of heart that will only be taken away when you're taken to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus. All of us suffer. Christians suffer. Billy Graham didn't know anything for the past several years of his life. Hardly knew his own family, but the Lord left him here for a reason. He had a good purpose. I was hoping it was like Methuselah. When Methuselah died, the flood came and the judgment of God came. And I was praying that when Billy Graham died, that would mean it's all over and we're going up to heaven, those of us who have trusted the Lord. Now, I didn't preach that. I didn't write a book about it. I believe it would have sold well. 
but it didn't come to pass. But he's got a perfect plan for all of us. Here's the last thing, and I think the most important. I felt like I loved the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my being. But this has given me an unwavering love for Christ that I didn't have before. It's a deepening of intimacy with Christ, to sweetening of my love for him and my walk with him. We all need that, don't we? Our hearts get hard and cold. Every time we say no to the Lord, every time we push away the Holy Spirit, our heart grows harder. And we don't even realize how hard our heart is. We all like to think we're closer to the Lord than we really are. I'll tell you, when you get really sick, it's a gut check. Lord, where am I with you? Lord, are you going to be with me through this? Are we good? It's been a sweetening and a deepening that I can't really explain. It's an unshakable confidence in God's word, his character, and his goodness. The same God, listen, the same God who has been so, so good to me through all of these years is the same God that I have now that I'm trusting in. God's been so good to me. He gave me such precious wife. He gave me sweet, precious children, seven grandchildren who are healthy. That's the same God who gave this to me for his good purpose. The same God who gave Kim and I a home when the kids were younger. We had no way to have a home or any equity to even put toward a home. I was a preacher and she was a poor preacher's wife. We hadn't put any money back and never could because we didn't own a home. We either rented through our time as a pastor or had a parsonage. No way to get any equity. God put it on the heart of some of you precious people to build Kim and I a home. God flooded us with free materials. Kim would do things like praying for tile. Not Kyle. We didn't pray for him, but praying for tile. And then she would go to the tile place and they would say, here's this, this. No, no. What I want is the tile that has been out of date and you really can't sell. And they would say, I got some back here. It'd be exactly what she needed. I can't tell you how many times God was so good in providing materials and providing labor. Even now, he's providing help that I can't do in maintaining. Some of you have been doing that, but I want you to know the same God who's been so, so good is the God that I trust now. My confidence is unshaken. His character, his goodness is the same. God even brought a dog into our life. We didn't want one. Just showed up one day. It's not my dog. I didn't count that as the goodness of God. 
but it is. It's Kim's dog. Now God has brought guineas into our lives. Because if a tick bit me, I'd be a goner. That's a whole other story. Only cost about $5,000 to build a guinea coop. We didn't know that. I think I'd rather, think I'd rather have the ticks. I don't know. Brian, I think of, when I see those guineas, I think of Kristen having that wreck. Turned her car over there on walkway because of some guinea pigs ran across the road. I said, what? Guinea pigs? And you said, that's what she said. It was really guinea hens. But she said guinea pigs. We'll close with this. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2. It talks about the gentleness and the meekness of Christ. I've come to know the Lord Jesus in a way that I have never known him. It may be the medication, but I've cried more than I've ever cried. Maybe the pain. But the pain always turns me to the cross. The pain always causes me to cry out to the Lord. And you know what, Abby? The Lord is so gentle and so tender. I have empathy like I never had unless Heart is softened like it's never been. Let me tell you one more thing that's a little funny about it. Women, I have a new appreciation for you. I've put on 70 pounds since they've had me on steroids for months. I don't know how you carry a baby. I just really, especially twins, Melissa. I can't reach places that I shouldn't be able to reach. I can't bend over. It's been humiliating. And I'm not going to get anything out of it. At least you get a baby out of it when you're pregnant. I love you guys more than I can say. Your grace to Kim and I has been something, as Paul said about the churches there in Thessalonica. He said, I boast about you. I boast about you. There's no other church that could have loved us like you loved us. There's no other church that can show the goodness of God like you've shown to us. God is good. You're flourishing. God will still be good if the worst thing that can ever happen, if your house burns down, God is still God. If you lose everything, everything you have, God is still God. And he's still good. I'm not the only one that will go through difficulty and pain and struggle. Some of you will too. But I want you to remember what I've said today. God is still God. And God is still good. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord. Through it all. Through it all. You've been so good. Lord, thank you for what you've taught this servant. Lord, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy that you've shown me during this time. Lord, you've been so good to me. Thank you for my precious beloved.
my wife. Lord, strengthen her. Lord, be with her. Thank you for this precious church. Unspeakable love I can't put into words. You've shown your goodness through them. Lord Jesus, you've been so good. You've been so kind, so gentle, so precious. And Lord, you are to all of us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.